All right, if you'll turn with me tonight to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. The book of 1 Samuel tonight, chapter number 30. I've enjoyed the services today, enjoyed the fellowship of the pastor and his dear family. And uh, we had a time of fellowship around the meal table. And I appreciate uh, the hospitality of the church. Appreciate all the kind things that some of the people have spoken to us about. And uh, some of you I've seen, it's not been a long time since I've seen you. It's good to see you again tonight and today. All right, they're trying to, let's see, are we on, preacher? Uh, Mike's on, power's on, green light's on. Power, power, power. We're looking for power. They're going to work on it. All right, First Samuel, chapter number 30. Okay, that'll be fine. I'll try to confine it. Okay, I hear it. It's coming in loud and clear. I was preaching this morning. Now, I start out kind of slow. And uh, I have to defrost. You know, I'm like an old car that you have to warm it up a little bit. And uh, if I get going just right, you can turn your hearing aid off. I was in a meeting here a while back, and some of the older folks, some of the precious senior saints come to me and said, Preacher, we like to hear you preach. They said, We can hear you. And uh, I appreciate those so much. The privilege of being here today. Good to see all your smiling faces. We were in the line today. I'm telling you, we stood in line to eat longer we were in church. And uh, some of the dear, kind, precious people of Mount Pisgah came by and uh, said, uh, the preacher today preached too long. That's the reason we're in line. I said, no, your religion's too short. My messages are not too long. Your religion's too short. And uh, most of you used to about a 15 minute, you know, been on television. And what, about 15 minutes to have a commercial? Every 30 minutes they change programs? And uh, you'd be surprised how many people have that kind of an appetite for the things of the Lord. But I know you're different here. I know you love old-time preaching, and that's your cue to say amen. And all the Lord's people said amen. Okay, First Samuel chapter number 30 tonight, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1. And then we're going to go back to chapter number 27. I want to use the Bible tonight and preach the message that the Lord's laid upon our heart. First Samuel chapter number 30. If you found your place, some are still looking. First Samuel chapter number 30. The Bible said here in verse number one, and it came to pass. Can I pause right here for a moment? I'm thinking of what I heard an old time preacher say. Uh, an old time preacher was always happy and he was always smiling and he'd come through some great storms and some heartaches. And some of the people in the church, they asked him, they said, sir, how do you maintain this positive attitude? And he told them, he said, and it came to pass. He said, the Bible never did say, and it came to stay but it came to pass. You'll find that phrase over and over and over. And aren't you glad that it comes to pass? The Bible said, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. They'd taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelist and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I'm going to leave off reading with verse number 6 here. 
And this is a familiar passage of Scripture to some. Uh, You've heard about this and you've read about it where David encouraged himself in the Lord. But we find here in chapter number 30 that the Amalekites had invaded Ziglag where David and his men were held up. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why God allowed the enemy, the Amalekites, to come in and to invade the land where David and his men were held up? Now, there's a good reason for that. Oftentimes, we just read on and we see how David encouraged himself in the Lord. But friend, there's a reason behind this destruction of the place called Ziglag. Now, look back with me momentarily to chapter number 27. First Samuel chapter number 27. And when we come to this passage of Scripture, you'll find that David is on the run from Saul. Saul has been hunting him for days and weeks and even months now. And Saul has tried to kill David on numerous occasions. And it's all over jealousy. It was all over jealousy. You remember when David walked out there and through the power of God, he killed Goliath. And he brought Goliath down. And then the women of Israel begin to sing their song. They said, Saul has killed his thousand, but David his tens of thousands. And the Bible said that Saul eyed David with jealousy. And brother, my Bible said jealousy is crueler than the grave. And what it did for David and Saul, it brought separation. It divided them. And that's what jealousy always does. It'll bring division in the church. It'll bring division in homes and and marriages. And and here's David now having to flee from Saul. He's on the run. and, And he's been running. And David had the chance. He had the opportunity on two different occasions to kill Saul. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't put his hand to the Lord's anointed. And and finally, in chapter number 27, read with me in verse number 1. The Bible said, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek any more in any coast of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the six hundred men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Manoah, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. Look at verse number 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said to Achish, now remember who Achish is. Remember where David is. He's gone down to the Philistines. He's gone down to the enemy of the Israelites. And he's joined up with them. And now he said in verse 5, David said to Achish, that's the king of those Philistines, if I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? And Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Wherefore Ziglag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. A year and four months that David was down with the Philistines and they gave him the little stronghold out in the country called Ziglag. Now you say, Brother Buster, what's going on here? Do you not see in chapter 27, verse number 1, when David said in his own heart, there's trouble right there. 
when you begin to communicate with your own heart. Do we not remember the Bible said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it but God? You see what David did? He forgot about the protection of God. He forgot how God had delivered him out of the hand of Saul time after time. And David took matters into his own hands. That's what he did. He said, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. You see what he's doing? He said, God, you're not able to take care of me anymore. He began to see Saul. And he got his eyes off of God. And he sought to save himself. And he stepped out of the will of God. Now, there's no other way to read chapter number 27. that David got out of the will of God. And not only did David get out, he led 600 men out of the will of God and, and took their families out of the will of God. Have you ever read that like that? Have you ever looked at that? You know, I thought about that verse in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 8. The Bible said, as a bird that wandereth from her place, so is a man that leaveth his place. And you say, preacher, what's the Bible saying there? Have you ever thought about a bird as a bird that leaveth her nest and she wanders away from her nest? Would you not agree if a, if a mother bird leaves her nest, she's going to jeopardize her young? She'll jeopardize her offspring. She'll leave her nest unguarded. And the Bible said that as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. When you get out of the will of God, friend, you jeopardize your entire family. And that's exactly where David is right here. And he joins up with the enemy. You understand? He joined up with the Philistines. Man, he had killed Goliath. He had killed the champion. And now he's down there joined up with them. You say, preacher, I don't believe a Christian can get that far out of the will of God. I don't believe somebody can get out of God's will that far. What about David? What about him? Joined up with the Philistines. And he begins to address, he begins to address Achish as, as his Lord. Did you notice that? The Bible talks about it here in verse 5. David said to Achish, if I have now found grace in thine eyes. Why, that's almost like saying, God, your grace is not sufficient. And he's seeking grace from a heathen king, an idolater, if you will, by the name of Achish. Well, David's out and a year and four months. For a year and four months, David's down there in Ziglag out of the will of God. Notice in chapter number 29, if you would read, just kind of flip over there. Chapter 28, you'll find that. Well, notice in verse 1 of chapter 28. It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achaeus said unto David, Know thou assuringly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of my head forever. You understand? The Philistines are getting ready to go to war with Israel. And Achish said, David, you're going to go with us. And David said, you know what I can do. You know what... In other words, he's saying, Hey, do you remember what I did to your champion? You know the man of war I am. And the Bible said, Achish made David the keeper of his head. It implies that David was Achish's bodyguard, his own personal bodyguard. You're talking about out of the will of God, friend. You're talking about way down yonder out of the will of God. Then in chapter number 29, the Bible said in verse 1, 
Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to a peck. And the Israelites pitched by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed on in the reward with the kish. Now if you'll read chapter 29 when you get home, you'll find the providential hand of God steps in. David is ready. David is willing. And David plans on going to war against his own people. Must have been independent Baptist. I tell you, they surely must have been independent Baptist in that day. And hey, David's going to go to war. He's going to fight his own blood kin, friend. Notice now what happens. The providential hand of God steps in. The lords, the Philistines, they said to Achaeus, you read it when you get home, they said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was a time when David and Saul were together. And if they be reconciled in this battle, they said it'll be with our heads. They said, Achaeus, David cannot go with us. He and his men cannot go and fight with us. If you'll notice in chapter 29, verse 8, look at verse 8. And David said unto Achaeus, this is after Achaeus said, David, you can't go. You, your men can't go fight with me. And David said unto Achaeus, but what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant, so long as I've been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight, watch this, against the enemies of my Lord the King. He addressed Achaeus as his Lord the King. You talking about backslid. You talking about way away from God, friend. He said, why can I not go fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? And God's providential hand stepped in and it stopped David. Now we come to chapter number 30. Does, does it take on a new meaning now? Do you wonder why now the Amalekites invaded the south and Ziglag? What's going on? I'll tell you what it is. It's the divine chastisement of Almighty God upon David and his men being out of the will of God. Listen to me. You know this is so. As many as I love, God said, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So many people today, they think they can get out of the will of God, treat God any old way, and nothing's ever going to happen to them. I tell you, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, hey, if you can get out of the will of God and God doesn't chasten you and deal with you, the Bible said, then they're bastards and not sons. That simply means you're illegitimate. And you don't belong to God. I tell you, He chastens those that are His, friend. Amen. And a lot of people think all they got to do is First John 1, 9 it. I hear that all the time. First John 1, 9 it. Live any old way. Plan on doing any old thing. And come down and... First John 1, 9 it. If we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I'm glad that's in the Bible. But hey, that's not a cop-out to live a licentious lifestyle. Amen. we got so much of that going on in this hour. And you know it so and I know it so. Oh, friend, here David is now. Somehow I can see as he and his men. It was a three days journey back to Ziglag from where they were with the lords of the Philistines. And they're riding back. Now, can you imagine this? I kind of see some of David's men. Maybe ride up to him and they said, David, what about it? We was ready to fight our own blood relatives. David, we were about ready to go to war with Israel. And God has stopped us. Something's happened, David. Somehow I believe David begins to see the providential hand of God in all of this. 
And when we come to chapter 30, you'll find the enemy had invaded the south and Ziglag and had smitten it with fire. Now, I want to preach here for just a little while, if you'll let me. And I want to bring some things out of here, things that you've probably seen. But the enemy, the Amalekites, and they were the enemy of God. All of those Ike families, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jezbuzites, and every other Ike family, they were the enemies of God. And here they've been, they've been allowed of God, as it were, to come in and be a tool in God's hand to chasten David and his men. The enemy came in and they stole some things. They stole some things. Would you agree with me tonight that the devil is a thief? The devil is a thief and he's stealing precious things from us. He's stealing things out of the church and he's stealing from us. You say, Brother Buster, what are you talking about? Why, listen, he's stealing joy and victory and, and dedication and, and the power of God. The devil's a thief, friend. We need a revival of recovery. We need some recovery. We need to recapture some ground that we've given up to the enemy. You say, Brother Buster, what did the enemy steal? Well, it's right here in these verses. Look at verse number one. You would just say that tonight that the enemy stole the community? Huh? And it came to pass that David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag with fire. The enemy stole the community. Need I say more? Need I say more about Rome County? Need I say more about Knox County? Need I say more? All around us it seems like the devil at will is stealing our communities. Oh, friend, and sins abounding on every side. Some of you whose hair is the color of frost, some of you who are senior saints, did you ever think you'd live to see days like these? I know years ago they used to preach about it, and they told us about it, and we knew that it was coming, but now it's here. Immorality, adultery, lawlessness on every side. And it seems like we're almost powerless to do anything about it. That's right. Brother, the enemy stealing communities. What's sad is the community has more power than the church, it seems like. PTA and Little League ball and T-ball and everything else. You know, you can't hardly have a revival in these days. I mean, you have a revival meeting scheduled and they'll say, well, we've got Little League practice. Uh, my little team's got to play and this is going on. Uh, I tell you, you're done already backslid. Uh, if you'll let uh, a Little League ball or softball uh, or anything else take priority over revival in your church, you're already backslid. You say, I don't like nobody tell me I'm backslid. I said just backslid. Hey, man, I, you know, listen, when I hear this, see, I'm in revival every week, every week. You say, I don't see how you get any. Well, God puts me in some strange places. You'd be surprised. You say, what key men do you know? I don't know no key men, but I know the God man who has all the keys. <laughs> Amen. And I know the one that can open and no man can shut. And I know the one that can shut and no man can open. I hear this all the time. I was in revival here a while back and a dear brother come up to me and said, I can't come tomorrow night, preacher. And I said, well, what's your excuse? He said, well, I'm on the voluntary fire department. All these men, I appreciate the firemen, hallelujah for the firemen. But all these men want to join up. They got these little beepers on, you know. 
Got, everybody wants to look important in these days. They got their little beepers, you know, and, and, uh, man, they all go down there and they sit and talk about the fires and everything. Voluntary fire department. Hallelujah for the voluntary fire department. And I tell you, if revival's going on, if visitation is going on, you ought to let God's place be first. Can't come to revival. Had a man come up to me and had his boy standing there and said, we can't come to the revival the latter part of the week. We've got, to, we've got a tournament going on. A tournament going on. Well, it might have been in that meeting that his boy might have got saved. Huh? Well, you'd be surprised how everything else is top, top priority in these days. And the enemy stole the community. Look at verse number two. Hang on now. Hang on. I don't know if there's a doctor in the house or not to revive you. In verse number two, watch this. The Bible said, and had taken, who did? The enemy had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Verse number two, the enemy, the Amalekites, they not only stole the community, but they stole their companions. They stole their companions. Boy, need I say more? Need I elaborate right here? Need I tell you that 52% of all marriages are in the divorce courts in this hour? That's 52% of preacher marriages, deacon marriages, church member marriages. Divorce is on the rampage like never, never before. Now listen, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to drag any old skeletons out of your closet. If you've been divorced and remarried and you've got right with God, all you can do is make the best of it and go on and live for God. Hey, there's a place for you. I'm not trying to put you in a second-class position. Don't come up to me after church and say, well, you low-rated me and felt me made me feel second-rate. No, what I'm trying to do is warn your children and your grandchildren that surely, Surely in this day, you'd want an old-fashioned Baptist preacher to get up and tell your sons and daughters and grandchildren that pray that God will bring the right one in your life and then marry and it's till death do you part. Somebody preach that to my youngins. Somebody tell my boy and my girl. I was preaching just here recently in another state. Pretty good-sized church about like this. And on this side back here was a man sitting there, and uh, his son was sitting behind him. I didn't know he was his son at the time. I knew nothing about the situation. In that meeting that night, here's what I said. I said, please don't get up in my revivals. Please don't get up and say, God, give me my second and third and fourth wife, and you're first and still living. I said, don't get up in a meeting I'm in and say, God, give me my second husband, my third husband, and my fourth husband, and you're first and still living. I said, now, you may have got you one. And you may have thought you found a good one. It may be a pretty good one. But I'm going to say something. God, don't drag God into all that. You know what you're telling your children when you say that? You're saying, well, honey, if it don't work out, just divorce and get you another one. That's the mentality. That's the mindset of this generation. Hollywood, Hollywood, and all this has helped to bring it to us. Amen. Now we got double-made preachers. Triple made preachers. I tell you, I believe they're disqualified. I still believe First Timothy chapter number 3 that the bishop has to be the husband of one wife. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, Brother Ed Blue just preaching and say, Amen!
I mean, his face got so blood red. And his boy leaned up and said something. And I heard a commotion. That boy grabbed his girlfriend and went storming out the door. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know if somebody got sick, had a, some kind of t- trouble. Guess what it was? After church, the pastor came to me and he said, Brother Buster, you don't know what you said. I said, well, pray, help me, help me. And he said, Preacher, that man has been married three times. And he said, he just came to my office this past week and said, Pastor, God has given me liberty to leave my third wife and go back to my second wife. And I didn't hesitate. I said, Second Peter, chapter number 2, I believe it is, said, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from their sins. I said, preacher, he's already been back down there with his second wife. I said, that man needs to get right with God. Probably needs a good dose of old-time Holy Ghost salvation. You hear what I'm talking about? He said, I have permission to leave my third wife and go back to my well, this thing is so messed up. I like the old time analogies of the old time preachers. They used to take, I remember them doing this. I've seen them do it. They'd take two eggs. They'd take two eggs and they'd get them a bowl while there's a preacher. I've seen them do it. Crackiest egg, crackiest egg, two, pour it in there. And they say, here's when you can get that divorce. Here's when you can get your divorce. And they take them two eggs in there, and they get in there, and they scramble them up real good, scramble them up, and they said, when you can dissect which one is which, these two have become one. Amen, amen, amen. I'm not trying to hurt nobody. I don't know nothing about any of you. I know some of your faces and I know some of your names. But listen, I'm trying to help somebody. Brother, listen, just this past week in a meeting that I was in, Not necessarily the meeting I was preaching, but I was in a meeting this week. And two of the main people in that church, you'd have never probably thought it hardly. They were on their way. And nobody knew it. They were on their way to the divorce court. Saying, that's it. That's it. It's over. I tell you, Pastor Walls, I'd hate hate to think that one day my children would have to go this way and that way. And and, I, I don't want that. I don't want, by the good grace that you say, Brother Buster, it could happen to you, and I know that. I know that. I've seen preachers' marriages fall apart before. I try to pray for my wife and my children, and we try to put the heads around us, and we try to work at it. Hey, folks, I'm going to tell you, listen to me, Dad. Listen to me, Mom. You know why this happened in David's life? He had stepped out of the will of God. He had got out of the will of God. He joined up with him, down there with the Philistines. The enemy stole the community, stole their companions. And you know it's so. You know it's so, and I know it's so. Never seen such a flirtatious hour in all my life. You hear me, some of these preachers I get around sometimes, they got this, they're over-familiar. Over-familiarity can constitute a great peril. I said, I've been in some of these churches, and it's either pucker or duck, and I duck. Huh? My dad used to say years ago, he'd say, all right, men, he'd have, you know, we'd have a fellowship service, fellowship time. He'd say, men are going to hug the men and women's going to hug the women. And he said, men, if I catch you hugging my wife, he said, I'll put your lights on the blink. Some of you knew dad. You remember him? I've seen my dad pull, hey, he used to preach that coat off all the time. And, uh, you know, he'd pull up on them old britches. He weighed about 290 pounds. He'd pull up on them britches and he'd say, men, you don't like what I'm preaching. He said, I'll meet you outside that door. And the one that comes back in here can handle the business meeting tonight. 
He said, this four by four behind this pulpit's mine. He said, God's put me here. You know, never, nobody ever touched him off. Pretty good sized man if you ever saw him. Oh, hey. So, hey, you say, preacher, but surely, surely, it, listen, even if you've been through that tragedy, you heard me preach this morning. You heard me tell you Jesus cares and Jesus loves you. But surely you wouldn't want your children to have to go through that. The enemy stole the community, stole their children. Notice something else. Verse number four, you'll find that the enemy stole their courage. They stole their courage. Well, I see here in verse number four, the Bible said, And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept till they had no more power to weep. And I almost forgot verse three. So David and his men came to the city and bold. It was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. I almost forgot here how the enemy stole their children. How the enemy stole their children. And the enemy did. The enemy got their children and carried them away captive. Seems like the devil at will is coming in among the flock and snatching out young people and teenagers. Oh, friend, if you just traveled with me and travel across the country and hear the stories that I'm told and what I, I'm confronted with. And, you know, I see a lot of folks. You can almost spot that rebellion in young people. I'm going to tell you something, young man, young lady. Listen to me. Listen, I know you think I'm old-fashioned. I know you think I rode in here on a load of pumpkins and just got dropped off. I know that. I'm, I know that. I've sat where you sat. And guess what? I was lost. I was a preacher's son, a pastor's son, and I was as lost as the heathen in Africa. More lost. I was damned and double damned. I was twofold more of a child of hell because I was religious and lost. I'm going to tell you something. A sure sign that you've never been saved. If there's rebellion in your heart against your perennial authority, pastoral authority, if there's rebellion in your heart, mark it down. Take this to the bank. Jesus has never really sat down upon the throne of your life and your heart. You remember, you remember when Jesus sent those two disciples up there and he said, men, he said, you're going to go up there where two ways meet and, and you'll find a donkey that's tied there and there's a little coat with her. And he said, bring that donkey, bring that animal to me. And when they brought that animal to Jesus, you know what he did? They were getting ready to throw down palm branches. And they were getting ready to shout, Hosannas to the Lord. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And this little donkey had never been set on. Nobody had ever rode it. Nobody had ever broke it. You know you don't do those kind of things in front of a little young donkey like that. But Jesus just kind of throwed one leg over him. And sat down on his back, and I could almost see him bring his ear up there. Brought that ear up there, and he said, Listen, son, I made you, I created you, and I want you to ride me into Jerusalem. And you know what? That little donkey never bucked, he never kicked, he never stomped, he never pawed. He just walked right into Jerusalem. And if the Lord ever sets down in your heart just right in old time salvation, your bucking days are over, your stomping days are over, your days of rebellion are over. Got that? Over. You come under new management when you get saved. Good friend of mine down in Mississippi, old brother LeVon Boatner, evangelist LeVon Boatner, he was telling the other day, he lives down in the country of Mississippi, and he said he saw an old, old store, country store, and the windows was knocked out and the paint was gone and part of the boards had fell off. And he said he came by there a few days and he saw some new coats of paint coming on. And, and, and he saw the sign was being put back up. And there was a sign in the window. The glass was being replaced. And the sign in the window said, under new management, under new management. 
When you come under new management and you get saved by the grace of God, things will change in your life. Amen, amen, amen. I was 24 years old, pastor's son. I'd hate to go into all that stuff. But when God saved me, when God saved me, my rebellion, my bucking and kicking and stomping days were over. Made a new creature out of me. Don't you believe that? Sure you do if you believe your Bible. Stole their children. Stole their children. Well, I tell you, I see a lot of this rebellion today. There's a meeting just here the earlier this year. And I kind of got on this thing. I kind of touched on it, you know. These boys like to wear their hats backwards. <laughs> you better pray to God you don't ever have a wreck. And the officer tries, tries to straighten your face to your hat. Because he's going to snap your neck. And you know what it is? You know where they get this, don't you? That, that the, comes from the, some of the other community, you know. The low riding pickup trucks and... You understand? You catch on quick. And you know, they got those hats on. And it's just that sign of rebellion. And that's what it is. It's that little sign of rebellion. Man, I'm a cool dude. I'm having a time. Don't say nothing to me. I was preaching like this. And I kind of touched on this little thing. And there's a young man sitting right back on this side. And he happened to be the pastor's son. And he had his little gangster. You've seen these shirts they got now? They little shirt, they got the little hood on the back of it. You'll check all that out. You'll find that's what some of the gangs are wearing in L.A., Chicago, and some of the other places. He was, he, he, this boy just laid down in his seat. Laid down there, and I, and I was preaching. It kind of bothered me. It, it, I, some things bothered me. I said, shut up! That boy said, hmm. Sonny little, I smacked him by the ear. said, hmm. He looked at me like he could have bit a ten-penny nail into. I preached that night. Got on that thing about the hats. I didn't know he wore his hat on backwards. And guess what he did after service? There are two churches there, the old church and the new church. And the old church has steps that go way back up in it. And Brother Ed Blue told him years ago they ought to blow that church up and blow them steps up. He said, that's enough to kill anybody walk up them steps. And you know what that boy did? I got changed clothes. I get so wet when I preach. And I went to change clothes, and I was about the last one to leave the church. And I was going toward my car, and I heard somebody say, hey, buster. What, huh? There he was, the old church, on them steps where nobody could see He's about as big as I am. Pretty good-sized boy. You know what he did? He took his hat and he had his hat on like regular people wear their hat. He said, hey, Buster! And I looked and he said, set it on backwards and folded his arms like this. I almost forgot who I was. I bit my lip till the blood run down my throat. You know what that boy needed? He needed a good old-fashioned whooping. Now, you city folk give your children whippings, whippings. Daddy gave me a whooping. You know how you spell W-H-I-P-P-I-N-G? You spell whoopings W-H-O-O-O-O-O-P-I-N-G. Son, he needed, hey, and I'm going to tell you something. He needed a good old-fashioned whooping. I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for the thought that I had. I got in the car and I drove home. On Thursday night, he got was in trouble, and I didn't know what I was going on. And you know what he did? He I seen him look back at some of his buddies, and he was laughing. He came down the to the altar, and he was supposed to have got saved. There wasn't a bit of repentance. There wasn't no remorse. He was getting caught up in some things. And he didn't come back Friday night. And on Sunday afternoon, I got a telephone call on my answering machine. And I called back down there, and they said, Preacher, the boy that I preached to that got mad at me, he took a shotgun. They, they'd been dove hunting, supposedly. He pulled up this way, and another young boy pulled up this way, two pickup trucks, two people, and only one lived to tell the story. And the boy, the, the, the one that got mad at me, pulled his shotgun out 
And he said he was showing it to another boy in the other car. And he said it accidentally went off and it blowed that other boy's head slap off his shoulders. But you know what I found out? They, they began to tell me that down at the public high school where they went to school, they wouldn't let him come back to school, this boy that lived. They wouldn't let him. They said it was a gang-related killing, that he and this boy had been into it before. And they had to get that boy out of town. They had to ship him out. I wonder what that young man, I wonder what he thinks tonight about old-fashioned preaching. I'm going to tell you something, friend. We're not playing games. And the God we're servants not playing games. Again, it seems like the devil's taking children, taking companions. Verse 4, it seemed like the enemy stole their courage. I said, preacher, what are you talking about? The Bible said David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice. And they wept until they had no more power to weep. And here they are. They're back to Ziglag. And when they get there, they found it burned with fire. Their children's gone. Their companions are gone. And here they are. You know what they do? They get out and they weep and they weep and they weep and they weep until they had no more power to weep. But nobody, nobody said, David, let's go get them. David, let's try to recapture them. It's like they lost their courage. And I tell you, the devil's stealing a lot of courage from us. This is one of the most, and it seems like there's no courage anymore. I mean, about everybody seemingly says, well, it can't be done. Nothing can be done in 1994. Don't sit beside of me. Don't even get around me if that's your attitude. That stuff's highly contagious. I like to be around some of these that say, preacher, it can be done. And I believe God, it will be done. And, and preacher, we can still see God saved and revival can still come. I like that. I like that. I've been around this crowd too long. You know, they said, well, there ain't nothing to happen and there ain't nothing going to happen, you know. And oh, no. oh, that stuff, that'll pull you down, you know. Here they are, all these men, 600 of them out there weeping and crying. And not only did the enemy steal their courage, they stole their confidence in the man of God. <laughs> Look at verse number 6. The Bible said that David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Now watch this. This is the same man that they had loved. And this is the same man that they, you know, he was, man, he was their hero and their, their, their man and their king as it were. And, and now they're ready to turn on him. Sound like good Baptist, don't they? They're ready to stone him. Now they're ready to vote him out, if you will, and run him off. And it seems like the enemy stole the confidence in the man of, I know David wasn't a preacher. Now that's right, David wasn't a preacher. David was the king of Israel. And don't come up to me after service and say, well, you know, David, he had an adulterous affair and God still used David. You read your Bible, friend, that the sword of chastisement never did depart from David's door. And David was not a preacher. He was a prophet. But he wasn't a preacher. And I hear him use that all the time. Twisting the scriptures to their own destruction sometimes. Here they are. It seems like they've lost their confidence in the man, the Lord's man. And boy, this is a sad story. And you know how they got here? They took matters into their own hands, stepped out of the will of God, got their eyes off of God, and got their eyes on Saul. And chastisement has come. But I like verse number 6. Verse number 6 also said, but David, thank God for those heavenly conjunctions. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now here's my message and I'm through. 
Oh, that was the introduction. Here's the message. Don't despair. Don't despair. Here's the message. The possibility of a full recovery. Now remember, Brother David don't have the remaining chapters to read to see how this is going to turn out. I mean, David doesn't know what in the world's going to happen now. I mean, the odds are stacked up against him. The Amalekites have stolen everything. But all of a sudden, I tell you, God got a hold of David's heart. God shook him. And I see David kind of get off by himself. Maybe crawls under a pine thicket. Maybe gets under a bramble bush somewhere. But he has a little prayer meeting, friend. He gets along with God. And the Bible said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David couldn't wait on the deacons. David couldn't wait on the church people. Hey, you can't always wait on the preacher. You better learn in these last days how to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. The Bible says there's, there's lessons for us to learn, principles to practice here. You say, Brother Buster, how did they have a, have a full recovery? Notice in verse number 6, the Bible said, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David received encouragement. Now, I don't know how it happened, but I see David by himself. And before he ever got any encouragement, you better mark it down. There was some remorse and there was some repentance. I believe David's mind went back to chapter 27. And he said, God, I've gotten out of your will. Lord, I took my eyes off of you and I got them on Saul. And Lord, I'm in a mess and I've got my men in a mess. God, would you forgive me? God, would you help me? For a year and four months, I doubt David done any serious praying. For a year and four months, I doubt David heard anything from God as he was joined up with the Philistines. But here in verse number 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I, I, I kind of see him down there weeping and crying before God. And it's as though the Holy Ghost nudges him and said, David... Why is thy soul disquieted within thee? David, David, do you remember? I helped you kill a bear. David, I helped you kill a lion. David, I enabled you to kill Goliath. And all of a sudden, he begins to think about the past blessings of God and the protection of God and the provisions of God. And all of a sudden, friend, I mean, there's a, there's a going in the mulberry bush. There's a stirring in his heart. And David begins to receive some encouragement from the Lord. You say, Brother Buster, you don't know what the devil's stolen from me. Preacher, you don't know what situation I'm in. I know a God. I know a God who can give us encouragement. The Bible said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And you know what? David did not have a monopoly on God. And if you're saved and you're born to get in, you're washed in the blood. The God of David's your God tonight. Amen, friend. And we can go before our God and say, God, help me, encourage me. Strengthen. Notice something else in verse number 7. He not only received encouragement, and when he did, he resorted to prayer then. Look at verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. You know what David's saying? He's got encouragement for the Lord. And he said, bring the preacher man. Go find the man of God. Get the priest in here. Tell him to bring the ephod, which represents the presence of God. And the Bible said, and Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. Watch this. He inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue? Well, that sounds different, don't it? 
Chapter 27, he took matters into his own hands. And he said, God, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to do it my way. After severe chastisement, David saying, God, shall I pursue? He said, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Do you see? He began to resort to prayer. He got back down to serious praying again. I tell you, before we make any plans and before we take off in any new directions, we, we better inquire of the Lord and say, Lord, what have you got to say? And you know what I believe will still work in 1994? The same thing that worked for my granddaddy and my dad and what's worked for our grandparents. I believe old time preaching, praying, singing and shouting and old time witnessing that, and the power of the Holy Ghost will still get the job done. Amen. I believe that. Well, here he is, and he begins to resort to prayer. He said, God, shall I? He ain't making no schemes. He's not making plans and ask God to bless them. But he said, God, shall I? And listen, can you imagine? Think with me. For a year and four months, I doubt David's felt the presence of God. For a year and four months, he's not heard from heaven. He's been out of the will of God. And look at verse number eight. He received God's promise. Watch this now. I like this. And he, that's God, Answered him, that's David. I, I wish I wish you could see it like I'm seeing it. I see him in there and David's praying. Oh, Abathar's a praying the priest. They've got the ephod laid out there and they're inquiring at the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Bible said, and he answered him. God answered David with one word. Watch this. He said, pursue. <laughs> I'd like to have been in there when that word came from heaven. I'm telling you, like a Russian mighty wind, all of a sudden in David's heart, and God said, pursue, pursue. You know what that means in the Hebrew? Charge, charge, charge. Get up, David, and charge, charge. Praise God, I see the glory bumps break out on David's arm. I see the hair almost standing at attention on his head. And God has spoken. And that's about more than David can handle. He's about ready to run out of that prayer meeting. I see the priest, I see Abathar grab his coattail and said, David, I think God's getting ready to say something else. And he answered him, pursue. Watch this. Then God said, for thou shalt surely overtake them. Man, that's more than David can handle. He just asked for some direction. And God said, pursue. And now God's given a promise to him. David, you're going to overtake him. Boy, I believe, I believe he's elated by now. Son, he's, I believe he's shouting and praising Jehovah God. And he's about ready to have an old-fashioned spell. And the priest pulls him back down again and said, David, I hear another word coming from heaven. And the Bible said, God said last of all, and without fail, David, watch this, without fail, you'll recover all. <laughs> Man alive. You see this? I mean, here he is. You know what he's done? He, right here in verse 8, he received God's promise. And you know what he could have done? Got any power? Here's what he could have done. He could have sat down. He could have said, God, I've been, I've been out of the will of God too long. Now, God, I'm too bad. Lord, you don't really mean that. Now, God, you don't know what I've done where I've been. Now, David could have said, not for me, but he had to receive God's promise. That promise, that word from God had to be mixed with some faith. And that's what the pastor said this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. The word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. David, he received that promise. He got a hold of it. And I believe the promise got a hold of him. <laughs> Amen. I like to get a hold of the promises, but I like them when they get a hold of me. And he said, this is for me. Lord, you're talking to me. Remember now, where's the other 599 men? 
They're out there in the fields. They're weeping and squalling and crying and they're snubbing. And, and all of a sudden, David, I believe he come out of that tent meeting, prayer meeting with Abathar. I believe he comes out of there and suddenly there's another look on his face. I'm telling you, there's a look of encouragement. There's a look of power. And those men are weeping and crying. And one of them kind of wipes out the tears from his eyes. And he looks up and he sees David. And, 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 he, and he, says, he says, shut up with that crying. Tell another, put the, spread the word. Quit crying. He said, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. I believe one of them said that's the way he looked when he killed that bear. And that's the way he looked, they said, when he killed that lion. One of them said, I was there when he killed Goliath, and that's exactly the way he looked. Can you imagine something like that going on? And all of a sudden, David's got that look. You know what that look says? I've heard from heaven, and everything's all right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the good Lord. I'm about to have a good time. I mean, that looks that I've heard from heaven. And everything's all right now. David said, man, I've got something to say. He said, God has answered my prayer. Man, I've been alone with God down here. I've encouraged myself in the Lord. And I believe, I, honestly, we'll find out the judgment seat. But I believe David done some confessing. May I make a statement right here? I believe your repentance ought to be as well known as your sin. Do you hear me? I believe your repentance ought to be as well known as your sin. And there's some people I know ought to take an ad out in the Knoxville News Sentinel and the Oliver Springs Press and put it on the front page. Oh, me. David, I believe he did. I believe he did. He said, man, I got out of the will of God, chapter 27. I care, man, I took matters in my own hands. And I've asked God to forgive me. And man, I want you to forgive me. And he said, I can almost hear him saying, man, God said, pursue Boy, I see them old soldiers. You're talking about a revival breaking out in the camp of them 599. I see them say, did you hear what the man of God, did you hear what David said? He told us to pursue. Man, we're going to fight again. And then I hear David say, man, wait a minute. He said, we're going to overtake them. That's about more than fighting men can stand, son. They got swords drawn and shields pulled out. And all of a sudden, David said, man, that wasn't all God said. God said, without fail, we're going to overtake every one of them. We're going to recover everything that they've taken. Now, if that was a good Baptist meeting, there's probably a couple of old heads around that said, well, Brother David, these Amalekites are professionals at covering up their tracks, and we don't even know which way they went. If that's a good Baptist meeting, that's about the way. We better table this to the next conference. You can tell I've been around Baptists for a long time, haven't I? You know what? I believe David, he probably, if that happened, he stood still. And he said, Lord, I heard your voice. God, I heard you speak to me. Lord, which way should we go? And he had that divine nudge. Mm, down this heart, we're going this way. Mm, you know what that, mm, you ever had that happen to you, Holy Ghost? Give that mm, in your heart that this is the way we're going. I can hear say, some of them say, that's the least possible way that I went. And I see David send out some scouts, and you know what they did? They hadn't gone far, and they stumbled over an Egyptian laying out there in the field. And he was about half dead, and they brought him to David. And can you see them all gathered around? There's that Egyptian laying there. And David said, give him some water and give him some bread. And they fed him a little bit. And you know what? He began to revive a little bit. He looked around. He saw all these men with swords and shields. And he sees this man in the middle that looks like he's important. And David said, who are you? He said, sir, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. 
I believe David said, pause. And he went out back of that meeting and had an old time hallelujah spell and just shouted and thanked God for real divine direction. He come back and said, unpause. He said, son, do you know where them Amalekites are held up? Do you know where them Amalekites are? And that boy was smart, friend. He looked this situation over. He said, I better answer this one just right. And he said, sir, I know where they are. And if you'll make me a promise, sir, that you won't kill me and that you won't give me back to my old master, I'll take you where they are. Mm. <laughs> oh, there's a big story right there. You remember when the devil had used us and abused us and he left us out there in the field to die all alone? And our heavenly David came where we were and he gave us bread and he gave us water to the gospel. And he said, I'm not going to kill you. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And he made me a promise. I ain't going to give you back to your old master. I'm his and he's mine and it's better over me. He's love. Hallelujah anyway. Amen. Praise God. You hear me? He's not going to kill us. He's given us life and life more abundantly. And He's never, no, never, no, never going to give us back to the old master. And my Bible said in chapter number, where we at? Chapter number 30. Verse number 13. And David said to him, Canest thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down. And when he brought him down, verse 16, Behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth. That's the Amalekites. Eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even to the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And verse 18, and David recovered 99%, 99 percent, 99.99999 hundredths of a percent. My Bible said, and David recovered a double L. Everything, all that the Amalekites had taken away. And verse 19, and there was nothing lacking. Unto thee are neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither small, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. I was reading that here a while back. I really do believe. I believe they got back the jack rocks, the pickup sticks, the sewing threads, every cat and every dog, everything those stinking Amalekites had carried away. David gave, God gave David and his men a revival of full recovery. They got it all back. They recovered every bit. And all David had was a promise and some faith. Well, I tell you, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what all's going on in your life. I believe there's a possibility of a full recovery. I've seen things, and this pastor has, and the men of God have that have preached. I've seen people just believe God. Step out on faith. You just believe the Lord to do something. Maybe this will encourage somebody and I'll be through. I don't know if I'll ever pass this way again. But I, I want to share this. I've seen it. You've seen it over and over. I was preaching in a meeting earlier this year. I was in Lexington, North Carolina. And there's a lady in that church. Her name's Rhonda. And she got saved three years ago. And I've been going to that church about four years now in revival meeting. And she's a big, tall girl. She's about six foot two. And she used to be a, a, a bartender in a bar. I mean, as rough as they come, friend. She looks like she could handle two good men any time. You know, I mean, buddy, she was a brawler back then. You know, Rhonda got saved and got born again. And she got a good dose of old-time salvation. And she'll be in that choir singing and she'll get happy. She don't know you're not supposed to do that yet. 
And she gets happy and she raises both hands and her mascara gets to running. Looks like Geronimo Squall almost. And she doesn't, she'll just wave that hand and bless the Lord for saving her. You know, they that's forgiven of much, they love much. You hear me? They that have been forgiven of much, they love much. Oh, she was at the bottom when the Lord found her. And she kept praying for a husband, praying for a husband, praying for a husband. This past year I was there and on Sunday I preached and she said, Brother Buster, pray for my husband, Jim. Pray for Jim. You remember Brother Buster? I said, I've been praying for him Rhonda, three years. She said, I believe God's going to save him this week, preacher. Pray for Jim. He was about my age, 42. And she got him there on Tuesday night and as she was coming to the choir, she passed by and she said, he's here. She said, pray, preacher, he's here. Boy, I was praying, getting ready to preach. I preached my heart out that night and they said, well, said they got saved. But old Jim sat back there Stood back there and he held on that pew, 42 years old, been rough. And they said his knuckles looked like he was riding a motorcycle. He has an old-time conviction. He was shaking that pew. And he wouldn't turn loose. And he wouldn't come to God. And we wept and we prayed and gave the invitation. And he didn't get saved. Well, Miss Rhonda came by me that night. And she was, she was so down. She said, Brother Buster, he didn't get saved. And I said, Rhonda, we're not going to give up. we got one more night. We'll just keep praying. That next day, I was getting ready, packing up my clothes and getting my stuff ready to come home on Wednesday night after the service. And about a quarter till seven, church started at 7.30. There's a pickup truck. I was out there loading my car at the prophet's quarter. And here come a pickup truck down the road. And it was cool back then in the spring. A man got out and he had a pair of j a jump overalls like on. And, and he had old beard, you know, and old hat on, you know, and just rough, got off from work. And he come down through there and I thought, Lord, I think I recognize him. The closer he got, I recognized that he had a little name tag out here, and it said J-I-M, Jim. And uh, it's like the Holy Ghost said, I've got him in the net. I've got him in the net, and I'm a pulling him in. <laughs> and, uh, boy, you know, I, I don't mean, you understand this if you really understand things. You ever had a big bass on top water? You ever had one of them bass to swallow that plug so far down in him? You know on about a 14-pound strand that you've got him hung, and he ain't a-going nowhere, and you can even let him play a little bit. And just wind him on in, let him play a little bit. Boy, the Holy Ghost had that gospel hook set in that man's heart. He come up through there, and it was lightning across there. It's starting to lightning, and the thunder in the distance, and the rain was beginning to drop a little bit, drizzle. He said, have you seen the pastor? I said, Pastor Fry's not here yet. He said, I've been to the associate's pastor, and he ain't home. And I said, aren't you Jim? You're Rhonda's husband. He said, yeah. I said, I've been praying for you three years. Oh, he said, everybody's been praying for me. I said, uh, Jim, do you want to get saved? He said, that's what I'm doing here. He said, that's what I'm over here for. I said, you want to wait till the church and the invitation comes? I said, a man could get killed between now and church time, couldn't he? <laughs> Boy, I was laying it on him, buddy. He said, preacher, I don't want to wait. And I said, you want to go in here right now? We'll pray. He said, that's what I come over here for. And went in the prophet's quarter. We got in there and knelt down. He didn't know how to pray. I mean, just an old rough boy. He'd never been in church. He didn't know how to pray. He said, Preacher, what am I supposed to do? And he was on his knees, and I was on my knees, and I read him some verses and quoted him. The Bible. He didn't need a whole lot of reading, friend. He was in the delivery room. You hear me? I mean, he was in the delivery room. And he said, Preacher, I said, Jim, I'm going to pray with you. And I said, You need to pray to God. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you're an old lost, wicked sinner. And ask him to save you. And I began to pray. And I was praying and listening, and all of a sudden I heard him. He began to stumble around. He said, oh, God. He said, I'm a sinner. 
And boy, he broke like a double-barrel shotgun. He got to weeping. He said, oh, God, I'm such a wicked heart. He began to confess to God things. I tell you, he broke down and began to tell God what a horrible sinner he had been. He said, Lord, oh, God, would you save me? Would you save me for Christ's sake? And I quit praying. I looked at him. Here's the way it was. Honest. Judgment day, honesty. He was leaning back like this. And tears was coming down his face. And he quit praying. He was just looking. And he looked at me. And I said, Jim, that's all there is to it. He looked at me and he said, well, why did I wait so long? He said, why did I wait so long? He said, you mean, why did I run so long? And brother, he jumped up and grabbed me in a bear hug. And he, he hugged me and thanked me. And then you know what? It was about 10 after 7, 15 after 7. Church started at 7.30. He said, preacher, see, his wife went to the community college. And she came in every night at 8 o'clock. She'd leave the clock, this college and come in at 8 o'clock and be there. He said, you reckon I'll go to the college and tell my wife I got saved? Or go get my boy and come on to church? I said, don't you miss church? I said, you go get that boy and bring him on to church. And I went to the prayer room and shared what had happened. And you know, they're like Comanche Indians over there. They got the shouting and the hooping and the hollering in the prayer room. And when we came out there, there said old Jim. He was right back there. And he had the Bible with him. Now that's 7.30. Choir sung, special singing, 8 o'clock, I mounted the pulpit at about 8. Now I opened my Bible and just had started to read my text, and I saw Miss Rhonda come walking in. After church, she told me this. She said, Preacher, she said, I almost grieve the Holy Ghost. She said, I came in and said, one of the women was winking at me. And she said, why are they winking at me? My husband's sitting up there dying, lost, and going to hell. She said, I came by, I saw her, she came by that end down there and said some of the women were smiling at her and she did not understand. And I watched her, she went across that aisle and I saw her look down and she told me after church, she said, preacher, when I looked down in my husband's lap, she said, there was the word of God. And she said, I seen her, she leaned over to him and she, he said, I just got saved down yonder at the prophet's corner. Mm, mm, mm. He shouldn't have said that. And you know what she did? I mean, she got in that pew and she was a rocking. You ever, she got to rocking back and forth. She, my scare there it went again. And I mean, she got to crying and she was rocking in that pew. And I stopped reading. I said, Rhonda, help yourself. And she said, Woo! And I said, Woo! And I'm telling you, meeting got on, friend. Meeting got on. You say, what are you telling us all that for? Hey. She'd probably thought the devil tried to tell her there's no use to pray for your husband. Your husband's too far gone. He's drunk too much liquor, smoked too much dope. But she believed God. She believed God. I wonder what it is tonight that the devil's stolen from us. Has he undermined our faith? Has he stolen our joy and our power and our victory? What is it that the enemy's stealing from us that we need to regain? The confidence in the Lord and the man of God. I just felt like the Holy Ghost would have me to share this and preach this tonight. Brother, I believe there's a possibility of a full recovery. You see, the Holy Ghost don't know no barriers. He can go behind penitentiary walls. He knows where prodigal sons and daughters are. You hear me? <laughs> hey, hey, he can go, friend, where they are and trouble them. Well, you've been good to listen to me tonight. Let's bow our heads and be preaching. Thank you for coming. It's been an honor to be here. As they're coming tonight, we're getting a verse of invitation. Well, I'm telling you, church, it'd be amazing to see what God could do. Some of us tonight, you know what we need to do? Listen, if we just get real honest with God, we'd have to say, God, a couple of chapters ago in my life, 
a couple of chapters ago in my life, Lord, I got my eyes off of you and I got them on crises and circumstances. And Lord, I took my eyes off of you and I got them on my soul. And Lord, I've gotten out of your will. Some of us need to confess that to God and just say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe there's something here tonight in your life that you, you really understand. You know the devil's stolen from you. He's stolen from you that joy and that victory that you used to have with God. Why don't you come to him tonight? Why don't you cry out like David of old? Come and encourage yourself in the Lord your God. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll restore the joy of that salvation. Heads bowed and eyes closed as they play softly. I don't believe there's a need for a show of hands tonight. I, I really felt impressed to preach this way tonight. I believe there's some people that ought to be responding right now. There's some mothers and there's some dads. There's some young people here tonight. Oh, if we'd recaptured that ground that we've given up to the enemy. There's the possibility of a full recovery. She said, Brother Buster, you don't know how far it's gone. You don't know the situation. But I know God that's on the throne. Who has all power, both in heaven and in earth. As the Lord spoke to your heart, there's some that have come to pray. I really believe that there's probably some here a few chapters ago in your life. For various and different reasons, you got your eyes off the Lord. You may be down in the land of the Philistines tonight, down in Moab spiritually, down in some foreign country spiritually, away from God. Why don't you come home? Why don't you come home to the Lord tonight and make it right? Would you stand with me all over the building? Heavenly Father, thank you for the touch of the Holy Ghost tonight. Thank you for the measure of liberty, Lord, that you've given me. I pray now, Lord, you'd give the invitation. Make the message real to your people. Somehow, Lord, let it be mixed with faith in our hearts. Oh, God, help those tonight that are saying, Lord, help me. Help us to regain ground, Lord. Help us, Lord, to recapture those things that we've allowed the enemy to steal from us. We'll bless you tonight. Save the sinner that could be here lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor's coming momentarily. While we sing a verse of this invitation, brother, why don't you just obey the Lord tonight? Why don't you just obey the Lord and the blessed Holy Ghost? A lot of people have lost that joy that victory and that first love experience you need to come I'm inviting you to come while we sing will you come won't you come dad mom young man young lady there's a place of recovery right here an old fashioned altar